Hello, Real Talk listeners. Welcome back to our 12th episode of our podcast. We are starting uh, our second episode of our new series called I Hate My Effin Job. And as you heard on our last episode when we started the series, we talked about abusive leaders. And we are going to continue that dialogue because we've obviously identified there is more to talk about in this category when you work for a horrible boss. And it's so true. It's so it true. Is. People like literally you see everywhere on LinkedIn and other places, people don't leave companies, people leave for leadership. Absolutely. You know, and one of the things, it's a question that you and I have both heard a lot is, I get it. Don't stick with an abusive leader, right? But what if you have no choice? Like, what if you are in a position where you really feel like you can't walk away from your job? How do you manage the ups and downs of that abusive cycle when you know you can't go anywhere? You know, it's easier, easier when you think you have options or when you know you have options, right? you decide what your breaking point is and when you're going to walk away. And you have that choice because you have options. But what if you are a single parent? What if you are the only income in a house? What if you are in the middle of a global pandemic where lots of very qualified people are unemployed and applying for the same jobs that you would be applying for? You know, there are, there are a, lot of, a lot of reasons you can't walk away. We are a country, good, bad, or ugly. This is not a conversation about debt, but we are a country where the average household carries a significant amount of debt and still lives paycheck to paycheck, uh, just trying to survive. So what do you do, you know, when you're in that place? Yeah, there you're you're exactly right. We're in a global pandemic. There's over 10 million people without a, a job right now, essentially. And the, literally the it's it's a great picking for a company right now if they want to try to identify somebody. It's not right. like it was before the pandemic where unemployment rates globally were very low. And if mm-hmm. it took all of your might to jump ship, right? It was a very employee-centric market, and now it's a very employer-centric market. And so it's tough. So when you talk about people are sticking around even with poor leaders, that's a legitimate situation. My challenge too is, you know, are you someone listening right now where you've literally had challenges with all of your leaders? Because nobody is perfect. You have to take a look at it. Is it is it just me? Am I literally challenged with every leader I have because I'm not, you know, taking a look at this from a different perspective? Or do you really, maybe it is you that you really do have four leaders each and every time and you get kind of shafted into that debacle, but, and you learn to navigate through them, but you just find yourself constantly miserable job after job after job. Well, I think you also nailed it when you said no person is perfect, you know, um, and you guys heard in a previous podcast where I said, you can't be everything for all people. You know, I really felt like I came in as a great leader, um, but one of my employees, it just wasn't right for her. 
you know, we still happen to be really great connections in a, in a virtual kind of world. We still connect, we still interact with each other virtually. I just, I wasn't right for her. I wasn't pushing her to a place that she wanted to be. I was pushing her to a different place. So um, another thing that you need to consider when you look at, is it me? Are you setting some expectations that are unrealistic even? You know, maybe you have built this perfect idea of a boss in your head because you've seen good, bad, and ugly with other bosses, right? You sort of have this image of what someone should be, but people aren't perfect, right? And so you might have a boss who is amazing at developing you and sucks at giving you autonomy to make choices. Or you may have a boss who micromanages you in one place, but then affords you the freedom to do whatever you want to creatively within that space. They just want to know every single breath you take, right? So I think you also have to learn as an individual to level set if your expectations are unrealistic. Yeah, it's interesting. So I am one, I'll be honest. I set the bar on the ground in most circumstances in my life. (laughs) That is the saddest thing I've ever heard. (laughs) I literally don't have a bar on most things in my life. And when it comes to leaders, I think I've just been in learning and development so long in my life that I've identified the different types of leaders, which actually I kind of want to nail down and talk through the different types. But I set the bar so low that if they slightly exceed my expectations, it's actually a win for me, right? Like it's anything above ground level is awesome. Maria, that is such a horrible way to go through life. (laughs) Like, I expect nothing from you. Wow, you gave me one. Right. That's exactly it. That is how I go through life. I set the bar low on the ground for everybody. And if anybody does just one thing, it exceeds my expectations. That That way I never get let down. But it's kind of some opposites, right, that you were just talking about. Because some people set the bar so damn high. It's to the moon on a leader. And they expect a leader to be perfect at every single thing. And that's not possible either. It's not possible because people are human. True. People are going to make mistakes. So let's talk through, I'd love to talk through the different types of leaders. And I know three come to mind for me. I know there's probably so much more. Michelle will elaborate a little bit on things that I forget. But, you know, when we're facilitating courses with um, our clients, there are specific leaders we talk about when we're trying to create that dynamic on how you can be a better and more successful leader. One of them is the micromanager. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of the micromanager. I've, again, set the bar low. So when they do something that's not necessarily micromanaging, it is what it is. However, I have had one of those leaders before. And it's Literally, she would reach out to me and she would ask me to change like one word in a PowerPoint, like from and to the or something like it was absolutely crazy how much like she just was super attentive to something that wasn't even that important. Right. 
And I just I've also I've also had those bosses who want to know every breath you take in a day, right? Now, here's the thing, depending on where you're coming in to your career, there is a time and a place. And what we all what we used to tell, well, what we still tell leaders when we're talking to leaders in classes or we're coaching leaders is when you are micromanaging at the right time, people don't actually call it micromanaging. They call it support, right? So if you are someone who is new to a position, who doesn't have a lot of experience, who is new to the workforce, who is even new to the company and the company's expectations, you getting hands in on everything, that's supportive. It's when you have, I would even say for lifelong professionals, like someone who maybe has been in research and development with multiple organizations for decades, right? They need to understand companies' protocols and policies, but they don't need you micromanaging the scientists in them because that they've had decades of experience around. It's applying micromanaging where it's necessary. I have found that there's a handful of reasons that managers tend to micromanage. Uh, One, they truly have no idea what you're doing or how to do it themselves. So they feel like the more information you give them, the better equipped they are to share that up or to communicate that with their boss. When someone feels out of control or overwhelmed, they tend to go to micromanaging mode. Because again, it's a mindset of, if everything is out of control, how do I get it in control? I get an understanding of everything. I can hold it all in my hand. I've got it right here and know what's going on. So someone who's overwhelmed might tend to react that way. Someone who is new in their role, a leader who is new in their role, may micromanage as well because of two reasons. One, they were probably really good at what you do. So it's easy to get all up in your business. They're not so good at this new job they have because they just got it. And so they feel more productive when they're doing the tasks they used to do um, versus the ones they should be doing tomorrow. Or the opposite, right? If you're new in your role or inexperienced, you might find a leader micromanaging you to make sure things get done precisely. Right. And it's interesting because I literally had to take over an entire benefits department that would like started from scratch. And I literally was doing that job. But then I also had to hire people to do it for me. So I didn't do it. And these new people came in and literally I had to teach them everything, but I had to do it from a virtual perspective, which was 10 times more challenging. So I personally felt as if I was micromanaging them, right? But in reality, I was S1ing and R1. And if anybody knows the lead, they know that you need to try to identify what the skill set and the interest and readiness level of people are. And you need to coach them through that. You can very easily find yourself S1ing an R4. <laughs> which is really bad. Which is super bad. And Don't tell people who know what to do, how to do their jobs. Yeah. Yeah. Because what you'll do is one of two things, right? If I tell people who know how to do their jobs, 
how to do their jobs, I will either lose them because they, they get fed up with me or I will basically train them to not know how to do their jobs. I will strip all of the confidence from them. And then three weeks later, you're going to ask yourself why they come to you to get permission for everything. Well, it's because you stripped away their ability to do their job. You forced them to rely on you for guidance. It's also called PTSD because I literally have taken over team members or employees that have PTSD from leaders like this. And it's crazy trying to reprogram their minds, like to the fact that they are asking permission to use their phone or go to the bathroom. Like, it's just crazy to me that we can micromanage so much to the level of someone having to ask permission for every little thing in their day. Or like even office workers, you know, if you have office employees who um, are calling you to tell you that they're going to be five minutes late or they're running behind, if you, if you have exempt employees, office-based personnel, where someone else's schedule is not contingent on their presence, right? So I know there's some other reasons that this can't happen. But if you have those people going, hey, I'm going to be a few minutes late today. Just wanted to let you know. Somebody in that person's past treated them in a way that they felt like they had no choice but to report every decision. Yeah. But we're not here to talk about the leaders and how you... We're not. We're not. Yes, the of those wrongdoings. We're here to talk about how... As an abusive leader, whether it is yourself or you are it is the, as an employee, yeah. Like from a micromanaging standpoint, I think communication goes a long way on letting and educating your leader on making them knowledgeable that you are making them aware that you're knowledgeable of everything going on. That's a good call out for sure. Because as an HR person, I always ask employees, did you talk to your leader? Did you give them insights that you know what you're doing now or that this is not the best approach? So I think that is essentially the information that will go a long way for you or, you know, if you find yourself in that position or if you are that micromanaging leader, you need to listen. You need to stop. You need to absorb or... Here's another thing. If you're a leader getting org health surveys and finding out that your leader in your organization or in your department is a micromanager from the feedback that your employees are giving them, you need to identify that and figure out a best approach for training and coaching the leaders in the organization. So, you know, there's multiple facets of that in a micromanager. I would say Let's transition over to the other extreme, the absent leader, which is super interesting from um, a perspective. So you have a leader who is disengaged, and that's another part of why individuals leave organizations, right? They're Most of the time, these employees are doing the work for their leader because their leader is super absent. And that creates frustrations. Absolutely. I wish I had a list of reasons why leaders become absent, but I don't have any good reasons for it. Uh, I've actually worked for leaders who were very absent in my career. Um, And they're, 
you know, it's funny how each of them has different problems. Like I'd rather work personally. I'd rather have an absent leader than a micromanaging leader because I feel like I can probably figure out what I need to do, even if the leader isn't there. It's but funny. That good. Most people do. Most employees, when you you assess that, they end up figuring out the job and figuring out the answers themselves. Right. So sad. It is. But it also goes back to, do you have certain expectations? Maybe this leader isn't as bad as you think they are. It just isn't working for what your preferences are. Mm-hmm. There's also collaborative leaders. I think there are strengths um, and challenges to a leader who is collaborative. One of them is often it's hard to move to a decision and move to action because you're trying to get consensus. I would say that is often one of my challenges because my, as a leader, because my background in OD is one to help you self-discover. What I try to do is navigate all of us getting on the same page. Um, And maybe that delays us moving forward by a meeting or two where if I made a decision quicker and I just said, here's what it is, let's move on. We can get to the end. I suspect that is that can be super frustrating for your type A people who are trying to get stuff done. The folks, I call them listers. That is not a technical term. It's just what I call them. <laughs> Here's how you know if you fit in the lister category or if you're just organized. If you're a lister, you're the kind of person who... If you do an activity and it wasn't on your to-do list, you write it down so you can check it off. Um, Maria, I know you do that. That makes you a lister, right? And so when you have someone who isn't quick, who is waiting, and I'm not even going to say it's slow, but you're waiting for that alignment with everyone, those listers, those type A's in the world get really frustrated by that. Yeah, super frustrated. But depending on your personality type, you will internalize it or you will vocalize it. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Thankfully, Mm -hmm. I internalize. So it's good for my employees that report into me. (laughs) I do think, you know, to, to the point of this conversation, I do think that that first step that you said is the critical piece that you have to look at yourself and you have to start asking yourself some tough questions around is it you do bad? Because bad leaders don't just follow you. True. But perhaps you have a level of expectation that is hard for humans to, to achieve. Yeah. Again, set that bar on the ground. I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to move my bar to zero. <laughs> No, I'm not. My bar has got to stay somewhere around seven. Yeah. I mean, have a steady bar, right? But also be realistic that people aren't perfect. So you have to take the good with the bad. Now, is the bad worse? Obviously, because we're here talking about abusive leaders. We're not here talking about the third middle leader, which is typically what you quote unquote call normal, right? Normalized standard leader, whereas a little bit between a mix of a micromanager and an absent leader, they fit right in between the two, right? We don't necessarily, we're not focusing on those. We're focusing on right. extreme dynamics where it literally is habits 
But then there's also some other pieces where your leader is screaming at you, your leader is degrading you in front of your team members, your leader is, you know, sitting there and belittling you or being condescending, uh, you know, on a phone call or not giving you praise and recognition and things like that. They're just talking about all the negatives instead of any of the positives, right? And there's only so much you can get beaten down. Right. You have to determine, right? Again, you have to standardize your bar. So if you've already been with the company for a little bit of time and you've identified this and it's not an option for you to get out, then you have to determine if that bar is able to like have like some transparency or be lowered slightly because you understand that that leader is not going to achieve that level. Yep. And I find this a lot because there's a lot of leaders that know there are poor leaders in an organization and they look past it. It's a transparent bar because this person has a historical knowledge or there's favoritism or there's politics or something, right? There's something that's just not educating your leaders better on having the right teams in place. Now, we're here to help you if you're interested in making sure you identify and have the right leaders in place. However, if you personally are affected by a uh, you know individual um, in your organization as a leader, you want to think through that. You also want to think through some other pieces, right? So it's not necessarily we talk through micromanaging, absence, We talk through uh, individuals that are screaming at you or talking down or belittling or being condescending. Again, it comes back to communication and how your leader is communicating with you is a, a, a huge piece, right? And there should not be physical altercation. If there is, give me a call. We'll talk. But Right. <laughs> There's a much bigger problem if there's physical altercation. There is much bigger. And if they are violating your U.S. constitutional rights or your local government rights or whatever, right? So when it comes to borderline EEOC uh, situations, ADAA, or, you know, they're literally, you know, taking advantage, sexual harassment, right? That's a whole other level of chaos. That's. Right. We're, when we say abusive leader, we're not talking that kind of abusive because that's a completely different conversation. But the leader that makes you feel uncomfortable, the leader that makes you feel, um, that degrades you in front of others, right? That first step, you know, it, it's to decide how much you can put up with. But there was a comment that I heard a long time ago. I'm not a type A personality, usually which is why I hung on to some other bad bosses longer than I should have. But um, there was a comment I heard, and I don't know, I don't know who to give credit to. I'm thinking it was either Dave Ramsey or Tony Robbins. If it was neither of those people, sorry, I misquoted you. But um, they basically said, if your full-time job isn't the place that you should be, then you should make looking for a new job your full-time job. Yeah. And what they mean by that is not quit. It's that every single moment you have that you do not spend at your full-time job, you should spend developing yourself, building skills, updating your resume, interviewing, applying for jobs, um, networking with people within whatever industry you're trying to move in. 
And I think that that's the place that we have to get real with most Americans. Actually, I would say most people in North America in general are going to struggle with that. They can't walk away from a job, right? You can't just leave without having an alternative. That means every single moment. So let's talk about let's talk about some of the things that I just went through. So let's start with being really clear about what industry you're in or what industry you want to be in and looking for skills. There are a ton of options for you to develop knowledge around the industry you're in that are not complicated. First of all, I will tell you that what I'm noticing is diplomas are becoming a thing of the past because newer generations or younger generations, they find ways to educate themselves so much faster than a four-year degree. But that what we're finding is people are in the, entering the industry with a wealth of knowledge without a degree because they've informed themselves other ways. And there are tons of places. If you were to go to Pinterest and type in free college courses online, you will get stuff from Stanford, stuff from MIT. You will get stuff from even Yale. Like the Ivy League schools have posted their content online for other people to see. And it's not just those Ivy League schools, it's everyone. So the first step is find ways to build or make your knowledge in your area or industry as robust as possible. Maria, any thoughts? Yeah, this sounds like um, a dating profile. So um, you're trying to uh, date around and you're dating your current leader and you're trying to date and look for other potentials. So you're trying to create a robust dating profile and one of the categories is your hobby or your skill set. And so it sounds like you need to go and find new skills or hobbies so that you can make yeah. yourself more interesting to your right. date or leader. That is exactly what it's about. <laughs> and then you've got to find a way of putting that in a resume because as antiquated as resumes are, it is still how applicant tracking systems work. We got to upload a resume. If you have extra money to spend because you're still working, remember, Go to someone professionally, someone in the industry, someone that has lots of great reviews and have them help you write it. By the way, we're good at that at realtalent.com, just in case you were wondering. But um, you don't have to do that. Let's say you don't have the extra money to spare. Guess what? Google it. I mean, if you type in resume templates or resume ideas, um, you get a host of examples. Um, you can go from chronological resumes to modern resumes. They can focus more on skill and experience versus the traditional chronological type of resume. Most people who know what they're doing in the recruiting process, they're not nearly as focused on how many years you spend in a job anymore. Um, in the past, I think that was the big question. What people are looking for now is your experience and your ability to talk through those experiences. Um, so really showcasing your experiences versus showcasing 
the places that that can be a great way to go. That's it. I think that's critical. I think people need to understand where their resources are and how they leverage themselves and really elevate themselves. Yep. Absolutely. The dating profile. I know. And guess what? Once you have the dating profile complete, you've done the work, the the great hobbies and stuff. So you can put it in your profile. (laughs) Now you've built your profile. (laughs) It is now time to do some speed dating. And guess what? Speed dating is awkward. It's uncomfortable and no one likes it. No one on the planet. But guess how you meet people? You meet people by saying hello. So as a 30 introvert who also happens to be shy, and by the way, being an introvert and being shy are not the same thing. If you need to know more about that, give us a call at (laughs) realtalent.com and we'll school you. Um, But I happen to be the most extreme introvert possible. um, And I am also shy. Mm, It's a double whammy. Mm -hmm. But guess what? I talk to people because the only way to meet someone is to talk to them. Now, I'm going to turn this over to Maria because guess who's way better at pushing herself outside of her comfort zone? I'm telling you, we were at a conference (laughs) last year and... um, by the end of the conference, I really think you had to have talked to a dozen people and you're just giving them the best advice ever on how to focus on developing their teams, how to focus on growing their business, how to get the right HR structure in place. So Maria, how did you push yourself out of your comfort zone? Lots of alcohol and no shame. <laughs> there was no alcohol at the event. Only Yes, might be water in the bottle, might not. (laughs) There was a lot of really healthy stuff at that conference. That's true. It was a lot. It was very healthy with uh, the acai bowls and the juices and the drink the stupid water bottles. So Right. I think the unhealthiest thing there was the coffee. And frankly, it depends on who you ask if coffee is unhealthy. That's true. And (laughs) Chick-fil-A. Oh, yeah. They did have Chick-fil-A. I forgot. Okay, go ahead. So yeah, so you know, it's interesting because from my perspective, I am super introverted. And anytime you talk to most trainers in an organization, uh, or at least I think the ones that we've just worked with, which is interesting, they're an introvert as well. Now, it doesn't mean we can't chat. It just means chatting and talking it up with people exhausts us. And we like to go to bed very early when that happens. We don't get our energy from chatting around with individuals, but I'm not here to school you on, you know, personality types. I'm here to talk through how you really network and you are, you know, making yourself known out there. And so, you know, one of the things uh, uh, that really stood out to me in my career is when I went to go apply for a job in recruiting, which is interesting because it's probably the worst job for me because I hate talking a million hours to people a day. I love talking, but just not a million hours. And the leader in that team told me that I needed to have at least 500 connections on LinkedIn uh, for them to consider me for the position. Now, what? Yeah, exactly. Very interesting. Very interesting. What a weird. But, you know, now that I've been on LinkedIn for quite some time, I see how connections work. It makes sense, Um, you know, especially from a, a talent acquisition standpoint where you're recruiting individuals and you're trying to network and build your relationships. So what I try to do is really invest, uh, you know, a couple hours each week on LinkedIn 
I build connections. I take a look at different articles and I share articles or I, you know, like other people's articles and then it, you know, pops up on their feed. So I show some visibility. And so I like to connect and ask people questions. I, you know, step outside the box and I go and I join uh, right now during the virtual environment, joining webinars and Zoom calls, huge, huge, right? So it's a good opportunity for you to step outside of your box um, and just connect with individuals. And I usually try to find one commonality with every person that I talk to. So, or just ask a question, right? Like, oh, like we were at that conference, you know, what's your business? Tell me more. What challenges are you facing? Right. And just for me, it was more of giving out free advice um, to build up our clients and see who we can help and support. But it wasn't necessarily that. It was just like just connecting with individuals. And it was a, just a really good opportunity. Now, it's not the easiest to do, um, but it's a good opportunity for you to learn. So, you know, that kind of expands on your skill set, right? Growing your skill set. Um, so if you're in a global company, you know, connecting with international individuals, asking about their pieces and regulations, depending on if you're in HR or if you're in another you know, part of the company, um, another department learning a little bit about their skill set. So that's a little bit about, I mean, it's not challenging to do. You just have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. I don't like being uncomfortable. (laughs) And that's the hard part when you're trying to look for a job. It is, it is. So, I mean, the only thing um, I would say as it relates to your social footprint is make sure that you are really clear on who you're trying to sell. So going back to that profile. So if you're going in and commenting on things, make sure it is aligned with what you're saying you are or who you say you are. Because trust me, the recruiters that are checking you out, the potential employers that are checking you out, they're seeing those things too. They're seeing that your activity is posting about how to get out of work and yet you're telling them you want a job. So um, make sure that that social footprint mirrors who you are trying to brand yourself as. Yeah. Next piece really is you got to you gotta do the hard part and start doing some interviews. Got to apply for the jobs and do the interviews. Um, this one can be harder to navigate because most interviews will happen when you are scheduled to work. Yeah, that's tough. It is tough. I've done it in the past. Uh, What I did in the past was pre-schedule vacation days. Interestingly enough, even (laughs) though I am sure, I am sure someone somewhere is going to be like, I just called in sick. I never played it that way. I, what I found with every situation that I was talking to a recruiter is they know that you have a current job. They are typically flexible enough to work around what they need to in order for you to come in without you compromising your values and lying to do so. So um, don't assume that they won't work with you. Tell them what you um, are able to work with. You know, what does that look like for you? Take some scheduled days off, plan it in advance, um, and then have those interviews. You know what? It does feel a little bit like you're cheating on I mean, in this whole vein of dating, um, it might feel a little bit like you're cheating on your spouse. I don't know what your boyfriend, your girlfriend, whatever, but clearly it is a boyfriend or a girlfriend that you don't need in your life. 
So it's time to let them go and find your next relationship. It's okay. You're not, uh, you know, you're just emotionally cheating. (laughs) Emotionally cheating. (laughs) Okay. We are not saying, yeah, we're saying all kinds of shit. That's what we do here. Um, But yeah, it it really is. You've got to come up with a plan. You've got to sit down. You've got to write it down. I will. That's probably the hardest thing in the world for me. I'm the exact opposite of a lister. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And so the idea of putting on paper, but you really need to plan this out. That way you can build it into your timeline, into your activities. Um, You can pre-schedule those days off. You can work through all of it to get this right and to get to your next place. Yeah. It goes back to what you said and kind of just circling back, right? If your leader is essentially making you look for another job, then you need to make that your new full-time job. Exactly. Yep. So, you know, the leader may or may not change depending on if you've tried to have that conversation. Now you're going to have to determine your list of pros and cons and what's going to outweigh what for you to stick around or to depart. And so we've given you some tips and some ideas on, on either sticking around and through it or preparing yourself for that departure. So hopefully that helps you. And if you have specific leaders that you want to talk through and the challenges that come up, because I'm sure we haven't heard it all, but we've heard a lot, feel free to send us a message at uh, support at realtalent.com or, uh, you know, connect with us uh, on our podcasts uh, or our website. So We will uh, always be here for you. So next time in this series, the reasons that you hate your effing job, we're going to talk about your peers. Um, And your peers are interesting because you do have a little more leeway and flexibility to try to improve those relationships. You can't change your boss. It's usually very hard to change your boss. Um, People can talk to you about managing up all day long. That shit don't work. (laughs) Um, Not the way you want it to, at least. Um, So when it comes to your peers, there are absolutely some things that you can do to improve that working relationship, set boundaries. Um, So stay tuned to our next, the third in the series podcast about why you hate your effing job. Till next time. Bye, everyone. Talk to you soon.